When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he returned to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum, by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. And this is the word of the Lord. You are not called to be a disciple of Jesus. We need to get this clear. You can't be here 2,000 years too late. To be a disciple is to be a student of a teacher. And Jesus was a teacher, not the only teacher to have been in Galilee and Judea in the time. Uh, But you had to be a disciple of an actual teacher, physically present. The men and women, and there were the 12, we learned later on in Matthew, there were 12 chosen uh, men. But it's made clear in another couple of places in Matthew that it alludes to the fact that there were women disciples as well. They could become disciples. And in this passage, four of them get called. But we, we can't. Which sort of sounds good news to us because we're not, most of us, willing to abandon everything immediately and walk out of here. That's not the way we live. That's not the way... We're choosing to live, at least I'm not. And often when we read this text, we read it sort of feeling somewhat guilty and embarrassed. We sort of put it aside. I know that's what Jesus wants us to do, but none of us are doing it. So we kind of feel a bit, I don't know, sort of somehow a bit less than good Christians. But lots of other people followed Jesus. It tells us before this text that the crowds followed him in great numbers. And we get this further on. So the disciples followed and the crowds followed. There were two different groups. The crowds followed for all the reasons that you would imagine. They received healing and compassion 
sustenance, justice. Who wouldn't follow? Who wouldn't be swept up in that experience? Because these are the things that we long for in our community. We long for in our own personal lives. So if we're not called to be disciples in the specific way that these these fishermen were, one of the things we're called to do, because the, the, the message seemed to be going out to everyone, according to Matthew, is to repent, is to rethink, to change the way we think. And we've been talking about this in the last few weeks because we've been hearing it from John the Baptist. And now John has been arrested. And arrested is the sort of gentlest way to put it. He's been imprisoned, never to be released again. And as we know later in the story, to be killed on a whim by someone called Herod, who had the power of life and death over everybody in his kingdom. So when we say that Jesus then says exactly the same words as John, something extraordinary is happening. Turns out you can kill the messenger, but not the message. But then there's a little bit that we skip over often. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee, where he finds the fishermen. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. But these these places weren't towns. They weren't existing cities. They were old names of the of, of some of the tribes of Israel that settled in that area when they exodused the exodus from Egypt they turned up in these areas and these tribes settled in these areas but that was a long long time ago that was ancient history and Jesus is Capernaum by the sea and here he just calls it the sea It's got all sorts of contested names. In Luke's Gospel, it's called the Sea of Tiberias. In Matthew's Gospel, it's sometimes called the Sea of Galilee. You can see what's going on here. That Here's Jesus and Matthew talking about an ancient world, the land that it used to be. Zebulun and Naphtali are places of the way the world was supposed to be, the promised land. So to repent in this story is at least to hang on and think, wait a minute, there are many different ways of reading this story. There are many different ways of understanding this world. Yes, it appears to be the Sea of Tiberias. It appears to be the land, the Galilee of the Gentiles. But there's a different story, an ancient story. The city we live in has been called since 1838 Adelaide. But we know it's got a much more ancient name, Titania, which we've only just begin, begun to learn. We used to call that monolith in the centre of the country Ayers Rock. We don't call it that anymore. Well, partly because Ayer never made it to his or even to Australia, I don't think, did he? We call it Uluru because it's got an ancient name. It's a, Who knows how long, many thousands of years, maybe the entirety of indigenous peoples part of this land. Maybe it's been called that for that long. And maybe Titania, where we live, has been called that. This is a colonised land. 
Jesus lived in a colonised land, but there's another story going on. In our culture, there's a whole other story going on. And, of course, we're about to experience that again on the 26th of January when we have what we now call Australia Day. We're going to watch a video in a minute which will give us some other insights into that. Some First Nations and and some white people are now calling it Invasion Day. The The same day with different names. There's something else going on all the time and repentance is always about thinking as broadly as we can about the way the world is. There are many stories that you live in your family, aren't there? There's, the, there's stories of the kind of obvious things that anybody could see. Your grandfather did this and your grandmother did this and your parents lived here and moved to there. But then there are other stories too, some of them glorious stories of sacrifice and courage and some of them terrible stories that we don't know how to carry with us from what has happened in our families. It's a complex world. It's a complex story all the time. It is Adelaide where we live. But it's also somewhere else as well. We've recently celebrated Martin Luther King Day and there's a conversation going on in Alabama at the moment. It's a bit acrimonious from what I've just been reading again about it. Uh, The Edmund Pettus Bridge that crosses the river in Alabama became very famous in the civil rights movement because it was the clash between the National Guard brought out, uh, not the National Guard, the Alabama Guard brought out by the governor of Alabama who was uh, an extreme racist against a move of African American people and others moving across the bridge in peaceful protest. Uh, John Lewis, who recently died, one of the great American congressmen, was at the head of that march and was very, very badly beaten as a young man, uh, but went on to uh, stand for Congress and be one of the great voices for civil rights justice. He recently died. He died uh, about 18 months ago. And so the conversation is, should we change the name of the bridge? Because Edmund Pettus was a Confederate general and a leader in the Ku Klux Klan. Should we change the name to John Lewis? The John Lewis Bridge. Uh, John Lewis himself said, no, don't do it because, you know, that we, I don't need a bridge named after me. But of course, now he's dead, we can ignore what he thinks, as we often do with famous people. And they might, they might name it after him. But it's a conflicted thing. So whenever anybody says, well, it's a straightforward story, it never is, is it? It's not a straightforward story for Jesus. And neither is a straightforward story for the calling of the disciples. Why is this little text here? If you go home and read it, if you take out the little bit where Jesus is walking by the sea and calls the disciples, it still reads like it should. It, it, uh, Jesus is saying, it is travelling around the area, he's saying repent, and then it goes on to him talking uh, to people and healing people, and then the chapter goes on and on. You could take out this little bit and, and it wouldn't make any difference to the text. Why is it here? Why do we have two sets of brothers? Why are they brothers? Why is it so sparse? Why do we know nothing other than that they're there? Jesus says, follow me, and they do. That's all we know. 
Some scholars of Matthew's Gospel reckon that the entire Gospel was written as a kind of liturgy, as a kind of a help for what we do in worship. The liturgy that we've had today, the great prayers that we've heard that have helped us enter into a deeper experience with God. That maybe the whole Gospel was written that way and that this little bit here is an indication of that because of its repetition, because of its sparseness. It invites us to read it and to imagine ourselves in it. Not that we have to become fishermen so that then we can get called to be disciples. Not literal like that. Not straightforward. Because this was a specific event. But of course, liturgy, specific words, invites us into a universal experience. So we read these texts, we hear these prayers, we sing these songs, and they come, they're from specific experiences. John's, uh, John reading John Bell's introduction to the Iona community and the writing of that hymn which is sung uh, on Iona, not every day, but nearly every day. Um, that's a very specific thing, but we can take it here, a long way from there, and in, invest in it a kind of a universalising experience. This is what we want because Matthew's Gospel goes on and says he cured every illness. He healed every disease. And that happens a number of times in Matthew's Gospel. It's always all of us and everyone. That's the world that we're repenting ourselves, if you like, into. We're rethinking ourselves into a world of complexity, but a world where everyone is heard and healing and disease is, uh, disease is vanished and healing comes everywhere. And this is not easy. We're about to enter not only Australia Day, but a, a more difficult Australia Day perhaps than we've had for many years. Because this year, the government has promised us that we'll be going to a referendum to talk about the voice for First Nations people. And it's now getting very confusing. We have people who have decided for whatever reason, to be totally against the idea of a voice. And some of them are respected and indigenous leaders. And we've got some people who are passionately working for it and have done for many years. Again, many of them are strong, well-known, respected indigenous leaders. Is it voice, treaty, truth? Or is it as the Black Greens are calling it for it to be Truth, treaty, voice. I don't know. I know my responsibility is to stay open and to pay attention and to not close it down because it's too hard. Well, Indigenous people should just get their act together. They should all know what they want. As if there's a, such a thing as an Indigenous people. There's, as we know, there are nations in this country where long before we white people arrived. We can't agree on many things, so it's not going to be that easy to do. But how do I stay open and looking for, longing for the really important things in the world, which are truth and justice and compassion and healing? The Uniting Church has, uh, since 2019, I think, agreed at the assembly level that we would mark today as the day of mourning, before, the Sunday before Australia Day. To mark it as this is not going to be a good day for our Indigenous brothers and sisters as they're reminded again of what colonialism brought. And yes, some good things, but having destroyed an entire culture 
and still without recognising that we've done that and without acknowledging that, which is why so many Indigenous elders are saying we need truth first, just like they did in South Africa with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Tell the truth. Then we can have reconciliation. So it's going to be a complicated time and that will be a, the desire for most of us will be to shut down and stop. Just It's too complicated. But we live in a democracy and you are going to be required to make a decision. And hopefully between now and then it will become clearer and more uh, engaged and we'll find ways of listening to each other and working it through so that when we do go into the little box and mark a little piece of paper with a pencil, we will be able to do it from a point of view of love and justice and compassion and openness. It's a bit all over the place today. I don't know how to tie all this stuff together. And maybe that's the way it is. It just, I don't know how to feel about um, Australia Day. I don't know how to feel about a day of mourning. I don't know at the moment what to do in response to the referendum. I've listened to some people who I've significantly followed for many years on both sides of the conversation at the present time. And I don't know what to do. What I do know I need to do is remain open and to repent, to open my mind up to change and possibility.